This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good job. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open up your word to us that we might see your son, Jesus. Prepare our hearts right now that we might hear you. Unclog our ears, open our eyes so that we might see you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter one, verse 18. We've been going through a series in Advent where we have been talking about how Jesus's birth brings peace. First John talks about how it brings peace to the world, right? As, As cosmic and as big a category as that could be. And then Jim last week talked about how Jesus brings peace to the city talked about it through the most unsuspecting people and places. Jesus is bringing peace. And today we're talking about how Jesus brings peace to the family. And so we're going to be jumping through a passage that maybe you've heard before in your Christmas readings in the past, but I feel like there's like a kind of unsung hero, or at least a character that I'm really fascinated by lately, which is Joseph, right? I mean, in verse 18, it you know, says the birth of Jesus took place in this way when Mother Mary, his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, and before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, being a just man unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Okay, um, how did that conversation go? Like, seriously, like, did Mary bring it up? Or Joseph, did he bring it up? Was he like, hey, babe, I love... I love how beautiful you are. I'm excited to get married, but like, like awkwardly just pointing to like the belly region. He's like trying to see what she would say. Or, or did, did Mary break the news to him? Um, like on their six month betrothal anniversary or something like that, they go on a date and Mary's like, now Jojo, sweetie, I got something to tell you. Um, and it might be a bit of a surprise, but I don't want you to be mad. Um, it's really a funny story, actually. So you know how Israel has been waiting for their longtime messianic king who would save the world. And Joseph is like, still wondering about the belly. Uh, she goes, yeah, so I'm sort of pregnant with him. The Messiah King. Uh, no, no, it's totally okay, babe. I know your face, it looks crazy, but it all makes sense. So Gabriel told me that it's fine, I'm still a virgin. And I'm sure Joseph's like, Gabriel is who? <laughs> um, like, what, like, what was that drive home like? You know, like, it, like There's a lot of awkward silences that Spotify can definitely help out with, but I've searched. There is no, my fiance just told me she's pregnant, but it's cool because she's still a virgin playlist. Um, Like, what did Joseph do to fill that silence? Uh, I know it's like ridiculous, but I like kind of forget about that kind of stuff in the Bible. Um, There's all these like little behind the scenes parts that were real life was happening that like I kind of imagine. And the virgin birth has always been kind of one of those stories where, I don't know about you guys, but for me, it was like, you know, 
Jesus was born, but he came through a virgin birth was like the equivalent of like, you know, God gave Jesus laser beam eyes and made it so that he can fly. Like, like it was some kind of like procreative flex for God to be like, look how I can, I can make a baby with no sex. Um, but that, you know, which if that was it, I would have been like, yeah, sure. But how does that matter for me today? Like, how does, how does the fact that Jesus was born of a virgin, is it relevant other than showing like God can do miracles? Um, and, you know, it could be kind of like one of those stories that gets hit with critics of like, see, like how ridiculous the Bible is. Like people just believe crazy stuff back then and crazy tales as if Joseph didn't know how babies were made. Um, like when you try to like inhabit the Bible with your imagination a little bit, and I think about what it would have been like for Joseph that night, honestly, like when he goes to bed and he had decided at that point, I got a divorcer. Like what, what, like was he, how, how long was he staring at the ceiling? And when he was running over the conversation again and again in his head on repeat, and I'm sure asking what, like what went wrong? Like, what did I miss in this relationship that this is actually that she's cheating on me? And how, like, how sick to his stomach did he feel? Did he have conversations with his mom earlier in the day about, I'm so excited about Mary being brought into the family, sweetie, like that now he was sitting there staring at the ceiling for hours, weeping and thinking about my future family is broken. Because betrothal wasn't like engagement today. It, it was like just the waiting period for marriage. It only ended if Mary or Joseph died or they got divorced, right? It's not like they're dating. It is much deeper level. And so Joseph is laying there at the end of the night thinking about his life that he could have had and that this family is completely crumbling before it even got started. And why does Joseph, apart from the obvious reason, assume it's it's over. I got a divorcer. He assumes that for the same reason that holidays are pretty hard for a handful of us, well, of a lot of us. Family is broken. Wives and husbands cheat on each other, and families break apart. Abuse happens, addictions persist. Bitterness hangs around in the family like a plague. In our world, it's actually pretty rare for peace to exist in the family. And if it does, it seems to be only momentary and fleeting. In fact, this is one of the places that all of us have experienced some of the deepest wounds. It's some of the most talked about uh, things that we're bringing up with our therapist. And this story right here in this moment where Jesus is coming to us, right? is in the context of family, some of the most broken things for a lot of us. And I'm sure some of you guys are like, did somebody not tell Jake this is a Christmas sermon and it's supposed to be like good news and happy? Um, and you know where we're going. We're going to the birth of Jesus. But like, I can't talk about how this is good news unless we begin to go, what is wrong with the family? Like, what is wrong with the human family that it is so constantly filled with all of these brokens and tensions and separations and addictions? And, and like, why is family like this? And I think part of the reason that it ends up being this place of pain for so many of us is because of the opposite. God meant it for good. 
I'm sure that Joseph is sitting there staring at the ceiling, weeping, because in his mind, he knows and would have been raised on the stories by his family of God creating Adam and then saying, it's not good for man to be alone. And that's not a story about the first couple so much as it is the story of the first family and community. Joseph would have known that God always intended the family to be a place of blessing. That's why he made it. It's the space where you're supposed to learn your story, your identity, who you belong to. It's the place, the primary place where you are meant to be seen, loved, protected, cared for. And the reasons that stories of abusive fathers hit us in the gut is when we hear them, we know deep down fathers are meant to protect the reason that those stories really like sink deep and hurt is because every one of us, even if brokenness in our family is a normal place, somewhere in the bottom of us know God meant it for something better. Family was supposed to be beautiful. It was supposed to pass on generations of life. It was supposed to be a place of peace. So why is there no peace? And I wanna talk about the coming of Jesus. I wanna talk about how his birth brings peace to the family, but we gotta start by at least addressing, like what's wrong with the family? What's wrong with your family and my family and just family in, in general? Why is peace so elusive? And I think, you know, we come to these dead-end conclusions that lead us to these dead-end solutions. But one of the things I think we kind of assume is, you know, how do you answer that question? What's wrong with family? I think sometimes we come to the conclusion of what's wrong with family? My parents. And that's what I thought when I was 13 years old. And it pretty much lasted up until the point that I had a son. And then lately he's been having tantrums as a toddler. And before I was like, what's wrong with family? My parents have a problem with family. I mean, I'm, they traumatized me. And then I look at my son as he's losing his mind because I cut the banana. I didn't just leave it intact. And he's screaming till like my ears are bleeding. And I look at him and I'm like, you're traumatizing me. Maybe I traumatized my dad. Oh my God. You know, so it just, you get this perspective as time gets older, as ridiculous as that sounds of, uh, you know, as we grow, like, it's easy to kind of point out this person in my family was the problem. That's why family was so broken. Maybe your dad, your mom, your brother, your sister, your auntie, your uncle, whoever. There is bad apples in the family, and that infects the family of brokenness, and that's the problem. And so if you could either get them out of the family or be lucky enough to be born without them, then you would be totally fine. And so that's kind of the answer to the question that we get, but it's totally a dead end. It's a dead end because first, as we get older, how many of us have this really uncomfortable experience where you look up and you realize that you perpetuate the exact same sins that your parents did? Or maybe for a moment you go, okay, if my parents are the problem, I just won't be like them. And then what you have is these really ugly patterns where you've got uh, abusive fathers and then the next generation, the, the son or the kid goes, as long as I'm not abusive, but they're totally picked up a new type of sin to deal with the pain that just perpetuates on. So it's just a new flavor of brokenness. Okay, so that, that dead end, that doesn't work. Just kind of picking like somebody in the family is the problem, doesn't actually name what is wrong with the family. So then what? Well, I think some of us kind of conclude yeah, it's not my parents, it's just family in general. 
But I think that just never really gets articulated that much because I think we all know, like I can't really live with no connection to any human being. So what we try to do is move forward in life where we do relationships or family or friendships or connections where we will do the things of relationships but we'll keep our hearts as safe as we possibly can. And so we're distant or present but not present. Or maybe you just kind of give up on family in general and you do the, my, my favorite saying that I hate the most, which is, uh, it is what it is which is a great statement where you say nothing, but you say something. It is what it is. Well, I mean, sure, unless it isn't. Like a chair is what it is, but if I smash it to pieces, it, then it isn't a chair, is it? So we're still left with the same problem of saying like, yeah, you know, like I may have had this in my family, this in my family, but it is what it is. The problem with that solution of just kind of pretending like that's just life is that we never heal. We never seek reconciliation and we never plead that God would intervene. Another dead end. What's the problem with family? Well, I think if we were like there with Joseph that night, as he's laying in his bed, he's crying his eyes out, his family's falling apart. If you had the courage to ask him like, Joseph, why did this happen? I'd imagine that Joseph would get up sit down in his little chair and he would grab something off of the nightstand table and he'd plop it down in front of you and he would flip it open and he'd be like, you wanna know what the problem is of family? And he would flip open to the first page of the Bible and he would tell you the story of Adam and Eve and he would point out, do you see how Adam blamed Eve for his problems? And then he would flip another page to the story of Cain and Abel, their first kids, and he would tell you the story of how Cain, out of jealousy and rage, beat his brother to death. And I bet he'd ask you, do you see what's wrong with family now? And you'd look at him and you'd be like, no. And then he'd flip another couple pages and he would point out the story of how Noah was passed out, blackout drunk, naked in front of his sons. And then he would flip another few pages to where Abraham thought it was a better idea to have sex with his house slave than trust God's timing. Flip another few pages and he would tell you the story of Lot's daughters committing incest because they couldn't have any sons. And maybe you'd start to get a little bit overwhelmed because you'd be watching Joseph and realize he hasn't even gotten past Genesis. You'd be like, whoa, man, I mean, my family's not that messed up. For some of us, we might look at those stories in the Bible and go like, this is like a little much Bible, relax. Some of us look at it and go, man, I'm glad that the Bible keeps me in good company. Like that there's enough brokenness for even my family and this stuff. And if you were to ask him, hey, why did Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery? Why is family so broken I think Joseph would look at you and he would say one word, sin. What's wrong with family? Sin is. And it's in you, it's in me, it's in your dad, it's in your mom, it's in your auntie, your uncle, your brother, your sister, it's in your kids, it's everywhere. It is the plague, the cancer that has infected every single person. And it's been there from the first family dinner. And it's been wreaking havoc over and over again. And I think Joseph would point out that what sin does is it makes it so that human beings try to define good and evil for themselves apart from God. 
Well, think about that in the context of family, because if you just got a nuclear family, right? Husband, wife, and kid, you've got three sinners, all defining good and evil for themselves. Now what happens? That's just in a family of three. And so you've got the history of the Bible telling the story of chaos and brokenness within the family. Why? Because sin needs to be dealt with. But that's the nasty thing about it. We just pass it on to everybody. You're born into a family and maybe someone sins against you, but then you grow up and you perpetuate that sin. And so it's just this endless perpetuating cycle. And so... Yeah, what's wrong? Sin. But naming that problem doesn't really fix it, does it? (laughs) Any more than going to a doctor and being diagnosed with cancer does not heal you. And so at this point, you might be going like, again, Jake, this is Christmas sermon. Uh, Supposed to be happy and good joy. Um, And I promise you we're gonna get there, however, the only solution that we're ending up with here, if this is the case, is either we got to hope that we ended up in a really good chill family and avoid all the other messy ones and ignore the fact that even in the best of families, sin has a result of even the best families have to deal with the fact that at some point death is coming. What now? Sin is the problem. It infects the family and it's so hopeless that unless God does something, Joseph is still crying himself to sleep. He's still ending the marriage. Peace is elusive for our family and history forever. God has to step in. And so he does. Verse 20, it says, as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not Fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. What's the answer that God has to the problem of sin in the family? A baby is born of a virgin. And you might hear that and go like, that's really, I'm sure, relieving for Joseph, but what relevance does that have for us? Why do we care? Again, is this just some really cool trick God does to show how awesome Jesus is? Bam, like baby, no sex. Like impressive, but like, is it relevant to us? Does it give any answer to the rest of the human families other than Joseph's family? Why bother even telling us this story? It's because this is Jesus's origin story. Like it or not, all of our family stories, if we were to tell them, go back and begin to tell a bit about who we are gonna be as adults too. You know, even if it's like the most broken things, like it's like that beginning of the story is gonna make an impact on who you are. This is Matthew and all the gospel writers going, I need you to know Jesus's origin story because of what will happen in the future. And so he is born of a virgin and that means something as Luke says it, the Holy Spirit will come over you, Mary, and the power of the most high will overshadow you. This isn't, God just showing he can do powerful miracles. When the gospel writers write about the virgin birth of Jesus, they want us to hear something and notice something specific. That this sounds insanely similar to how the first chapter of the Bible goes, where God is in front of a creation that is empty, void of life, and nothing could bring life out of it. 
But then the spirit of God is hovering over the waters just like it hovers over Mary in that family on Advent Christmas Day. This is this moment when we hear the virgin birth, we're supposed to hear God is starting new creation and he's doing it in the family. That God is doing something that is literally impossible. That's the point. Babies don't come from virgin wombs, and yet God is speaking a moment of new creation into life. His son is going to come, and man, we know some mighty things he's going to do. But we need to know the origin story of Jesus begins with God saying, it's time for something new in the family. New creation begins in the birth of Jesus. And if that is true, think about that for a second. If the story of Jesus just starting means that God bring life out of where it looks impossible, what might that mean for marriages that are on the brink of destruction? What might that mean for fathers who are so wounded by their dads they can't even imagine being a good father? What might that mean for you children who are so strange from your family, you never even thought of praying for redemption? I mean, if God has the power to bring life out of nowhere, what else could he not do? He has begun new creation in Jesus. This baby being born is the beginning of God doing something totally new in the world. And the angel tells Joseph that Mary will bear a son and you're gonna call his name Jesus in verse 21 and 23, for he will save his people from their sins. We all know that this baby born of a virgin, his name is Jesus. That's why we celebrate him on Christmas. But maybe you knew too that Jesus is actually Greek for the name Joshua. And Joshua is like a pretty like basic Hebrew name that was common in the Old Testament, but it means Yahweh saves. And so he tells Joseph that this child that's gonna come, you gotta name him Yahweh saves because there's no other appropriate name that's gonna match what this boy is gonna grow to do. But what's with the whole two name thing? Have you guys ever like noticed that? Like Jesus got like two names here. Like in, in the next verse, it says in 22, it says, this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Like, is he Jesus or Emmanuel or is he both? Is it Jesus Emmanuel Christ or is it like, <laughs> Jesus is kind of like a nickname. Emmanuel is like the, you know, like the professional like name. Like what's, like why? If you read through it in Matthew, you can tell Right? He's like really winding us up to see that every detail he just told us about the birth narrative is all so that we would look back at this part of the Bible. Like all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord spoke by the prophet. All these details, all this telling in both Matthew and Luke, like they were to draw us back to a part of the story that maybe we're not very familiar with, but it's from the book of Isaiah. Like, what's going on here? Matthew wants us to see in this birth story, one that we celebrate every year, common, might even be something we're just used to. He wants us to see and connect to another story. It's a story 
of King Ahaz. And if you don't know the story of King Ahaz, it's found in the, God, it's found in the book of Isaiah. King Ahaz was a descendant from the line of King David. And King Ahaz was king at a time in Israel where pretty much everything was falling apart. I mean, it's bad. Like the chosen people of God are on the brink of ruin, filled with civil war and annihilations at their doorstep. And this is like a bigger deal than just like some nation that is not doing a good job. The people of Israel were the family. That's why God elected them. They were the family God chose as a way of bringing blessing and peace and flourishing to the rest of the families of the earth. I mean, the entire people of Israel were meant, they were the, they were the means by which God was gonna bring salvation. And so now when we get to the story of King Ahaz, it is so crash landed and burned that Ahaz is this wicked king, barely believing of God, and he's freaking out because there's enemies on the outside of his town about to invade Jerusalem. And so God shows up and he tells King Ahaz, King Ahaz, don't worry about these enemies. I'm God. I could do anything. I can rescue. I can do all these things. And then God tells King Ahaz in that story, you know what, King Ahaz? Ask for me a sign. Ask me to do something crazy. Ask for a sign that is as high as heaven or as low as hell, and I'll, I'll show you a sign that shows that I am the God who saves, and I will save my people. You know what Ahaz says? No thanks. He says, basically the version of no thanks to God. He uses some kind of religious judo and goes like, ah, I don't want to test you, God. But God literally told him, ask me for something. Let me show you that I am the good savior God. And Ahaz goes, no thanks. And so it's this moment where God in his impatience says to Ahaz, okay, you don't want to ask for a sign? I'll give you one anyway. I'll give you a sign, King Ahaz. It's gonna be a sign. And it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God's with us. God tells Ahab that he's gonna give a sign to his people that isn't even gonna make sense to the world. He's gonna bring life where it doesn't believe it could actually come from. He's gonna do a miracle that shows he's bringing new creation into life. He's gonna bring a child that is gonna be born and they're gonna call his name Emmanuel. Why? Because who is Jesus's dad? It's not Joseph, it's God. And we're not gonna know that until we get further into the gospels, right? But we, we who have gone through the story know that what happens later is that Jesus is the living God come to us in the flesh. That this moment, this story, what he's pointing to is that God has promised to save the world. How is he gonna do it? He's gonna come himself into the family. Because if the family is the source of this contaminant, this problem, this sin, then it's in the family that God's gotta bring about new life. He's got to do something in the family. And so he is born, Jesus, through a very real womb. He is connected to Mary. And so there is no family brokenness that you've experienced that Jesus could not connect to. 
Jesus knows exactly what it's like to live on earth. He knows what it's like to be a human. And yet he is not like us, trapped in this endless cycle of sin that perpetuates from family to family. He is the living God with us. Come to save, come to be near. So in that town of Bethlehem, a virgin gets pregnant, and this was the sign that God would come to his people. We celebrate Christmas because of who was born. God, in the flesh, in his son named Jesus, who grew up to die. That is how God would solve the problem of sin that infects the family. He would send his own son in the context of broken family so that he would grow up, be betrayed by all of his extended family and die so that death and sin could hang on the cross and be destroyed and that he might bring forgiveness. That's how a baby being born 2,000 years ago of a virgin can bring peace to the family today. If you don't know what I mean, this is, this is how I've seen it over my time here just as this church. You guys know, like my story, me, like I became a Christian at this church. So this is like my spiritual growing up, but this is my family here. And so here's how I have seen the birth of Jesus bring peace to the family. I've seen men with generations of fathers who abandon their families be the first person in generations to stay with their family, remain, and be present. First time in generations I've seen that. How does that have anything to do with Jesus? Because Jesus has brought the power of forgiveness so they can heal and they can forgive those who have hurt them instead of perpetuating that cycle of sin. They could actually be a part of God's kingdom and what he is doing. They can forgive their fathers and mothers and sisters, all who have done, and instead of just perpetuating, live in the new life of the king. I've seen that happen right here. And, and this is not, you know, here's the crazy thing. Jesus, when he was on this earth, he had this moment where his brothers, biological, and his mother, Mary, was like, we're trying to get a hold of him and talk to him. And he goes, who are my mother and my brothers? These are my mother and my brothers, any who do the kingdom of God. And so now in Jesus, who has made a new creation family, there's hope for the fatherless. The one who has no children can be like one who has born so many daughters and mothers in the kingdom of God. I've seen it where cycles of sin and addiction are broken in one generation. I've seen it in what this church has meant to me and what I've seen it do to other people, men who have taught one another what a father means in the absence of a father. I've, I've seen it in the mothers who have taken young women into their fold and cared for them and loved them. All these things I have seen, how? Because Jesus was born. Jesus was God with us and he's among us and he's been walking with us for 2000 years, making a whole new creation on earth. In his blood, a new family. I've seen it as strangers become brothers and best friends. I've seen it in the families that have legacies of pain be completely healed in Jesus. A baby, guys, 2,000 years ago was born. His name was Jesus. And he was God's answer to the problem with sin in the family. He died for it. He healed it, and now 
the reason we celebrate every year Christmas is because new creation has already begun in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. I'm going to give you guys just a moment to pray in silence. And what I want you to pray for right now, just ask the Holy Spirit if you want to. Ask the Holy Spirit since Jesus has been born. What do you want me to pray for within my family? whether it's your biological family, your extended family, your family within the church, just ask for a moment how Jesus might want you to respond today. Jesus, may today be a day where we're reminded that healing is in your hands, forgiveness, redemption, and that you have the power to bring about new life where it doesn't make sense that it ever would happen. And we cling to you, Jesus, knowing that even the families that we have on earth, Lord, are pictures and fragments of what you've given us in the kingdom, a new family tied together in your blood, a family God, that will last on into the eternity of new heavens and new earth. Amen. We get a time now to respond as a church family to God. And we do that in a handful of ways. We're gonna respond to God by prayer. When God speaks to us, how can we not respond by speaking back? And so if you want to come up for prayer, we're gonna have prayer people in the side. You could also just bow your head in prayer or grab somebody else and ask them, pray for me. And we are going to respond to God by singing. We sing these songs to remind us of the story of God that we celebrate in the season of Advent. And we're going to give. We give out of the abundance of what God has already given us. I mean, he's given us his son, so it just always follows that how could we not give? And so if you want to give, there's offering boxes in the back. And lastly, we're going to take communion. And so we're going to have communion tables up front here. And as you take and eat the bread and drink the wine, this has been a symbol for all of church history with so much depth and meaning. But today I remind you that as you take, as you eat, as you drink, be reminded that Jesus, that baby that we celebrate, was born to die for you, for the healing of you, your family, and for life. And so come, let's respond to the Lord together.